Come on. This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform for your company, your organization, and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show. Michael, are you ready? Yeah, dude, I'm ready. All right, I'm ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Lifeblood Engage. This is George G. Our guest today is a strong and powerful Michael Brody Waite. Michael is a recovering addict. He is a TEDx speaker, the former CEO of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. He is the author of Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. I'm excited to have you on. Michael, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure. So I think the interesting part of my story starts when I was 23 years old. Um, I'd been kicked out of school. I've been fired from my job. I've been kicked out of my apartment. My car had been repossessed and I was throwing up blood because I was woefully addicted to alcohol and drugs. And my only obsession in life was from the minute I woke up to the minute I passed out at night to get high and do whatever it took to get high. Uh, the only money I had was what I could steal from my friends. This is funny and sad at the same time. My doctor said the only thing higher than my liver enzymes was me, <laughs> and, <laughs> which I can laugh about now. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> it is. And, uh, and so, you know, I truly thought I'd be dead by the time I was 25 and I knew I wouldn't live to see 30. And, uh, so then I go, now I go around the world telling people that I think that great leaders live like drug addicts and people look at me crosswords and they're like, what the heck are you talking about? But my clean date is September 1st, 2002, and I know a thing or two about leadership. Uh, I spent eight years climbing the corporate ladder at a Fortune 50 company. I left that company the height of the recession and co-founded and became the CEO of a startup that became an Inc. 500 company and was acquired by a publicly traded company. I then ran a nonprofit for three years that helped 2,000 entrepreneurs a year start or grow a business. And I said, man, you know what my competitive advantage is? I don't have an MBA, I don't even have a college degree. It's my recovery from drug addiction. That is my competitive advantage. And so I did a TED talk called Great Leaders Do What Drug Addicts Do and it went viral and it's got over 2.3 million views in over two, uh, 25 countries. And then I wrote my book and now I basically go around telling leaders of companies at Google and Dell and HCA and Global Payments and startups and nonprofits, I tell them they pay me a lot of money coming there and talk to the people. And I tell them what I learned for free for one hour of my time and a crappy cup of coffee at a 12 step meeting. Nice. <laughs> That's what I do. What a story, man. So 23 years old, you're rock bottom. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I, I hated the person I saw in the mirror and I wanted to kill him. And you tried. I did. I, I was too, I was too scared to do it the fast way. So I was trying to do it the slow way. Got it. Nice. Nice to come out the other side, obviously interesting to come out the other side and then to have all these experiences, climbing the ladder in a fortune, whatever company, just eight years of that. And then uh, starting a company and growing it to a fortune 500 company and then helping all these other companies launch. Uh, and then you come out of that and you realize, you know, what is really unique about me is if I can help somebody really understand and put into practice what I learned through recovery. So yeah. life, life is interesting, isn't it? It is. And I feel like um, a lot of people kind of look at me crossways when I, when I say this. But if you really 
look under the covers, there's not that much of a difference between what I see as historical leaders and drug addicts. So like historical leader, general on the battlefield, corporate executive in the boardroom, doing whatever they can to manage perception, fix, manage, and control to get the next success thing. Well, dude, I was doing that as an, uh, as an addict. I was just mm-hmm. chasing the next hit and the next high. So there's actually not that big of a difference. And with, now with the authenticity movement and leadership, most people are like, we're talking about authentic leadership, but nobody actually knows how to do it. Well, that's actually what you learn how to do in a 12-step program because if you don't learn how to be authentic, you die. So we actually are trained with a step-by-step system to do that in a world where people are like watching TED Talks and trying to be authentic. Authentic leaders are being created in 12-step meetings all around the world right now. It's amazing. I've never, I've never heard of that. I've, and and it certainly that it doesn't necessarily make sense to me, and that's what I'm hoping that you'll explain to me. But I've never heard that before. But 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 it makes sense. So how why how why it's, it couldn't get more broad than that. <laughs> well, so no, I'm kidding. So here's the deal. So addiction is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, and despite negative consequences. So a drug addict says yes to things that they should say no to, right? We say yes to the drugs and we should say no to them. Well, leaders say yes to uh, 31 hours worth of unnecessary meetings every month. They're saying yes to things that hurt them too, even though they should say no. Um, as, a, as an addict, I hid my weaknesses. I hid my addiction. Leaders hide their weaknesses and starve themselves from the connection with the people they lead and also the, the things that could help them grow. So like, we're the same. Addicts avoid difficult conversations. I'm avoiding a difficult conversation around an intervention, (laughs) but a leader's not performance managing their people or setting the right expectations for a customer or, you know, negotiating the terms that they think are fair for their product or service. And so we're both addicted to the same behavior. The difference is that September 1st, 2002, I woke up at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California, and they said, if you don't learn how to stop doing these things, you're going to die. And the thing that they taught me was that they, they put two things down on the, on the table in front of me and they were two blank masks. And they said, decorate one to look like the person that you show the world and decorate one to look like the person that you see inside. So the one I showed the world was like George Clooney and Ferraris and you know, whatever. And the one that looked like me was this really sad and lost boy that was really hurting. And they said, you're addicted to hiding yourself behind a mask. Obviously a little weird in pandemic to say that, but this was 18 years ago, but you're hiding, you're addicted to hiding yourself behind a mask and that's what you need to work on. And so they gave me what I've distilled down into three principles. Um, but they gave me a step-by-step program that allowed me to stop hiding myself and allowed me to stop trying to control all the things that wasted my energy. And in doing so, I was able to stop using drugs. I was able to reclaim a tremendous amount of energy and start instead of worrying about like every, what everybody else thought, I started leading myself. What are the three principles? So the first one is practice rigorous authenticity. Um, anybody can keep it free, uh, keep it real in front of grandma and their best friend, but it's like, be true to yourself no matter what. Like I tell a story in my Ted talk about my first job interview. I had to tell him I was a drug addict and risk losing the job. So rigorous authenticity means it does not matter. And the only way that people are able to do that, because we're so scared of what people will think, if we tell our friend that we don't want to hang out with them, if we tell the family members we don't want them to stay with us, we tell the boss what we really think about their strategy, we're scared of what will happen if we you know, philosophically take the mask off. 
And so an addict has to learn how to surrender the outcome. And that is something that leaders are not taught. We're taught to control outcomes. Hmm. How many times have you seen someone focusing on something that they can't control at the expense of the things that they can? We all went through this as a country back during the, the thing called the presidential election, regardless of your, your political standing. After you voted, you couldn't control Jack, but how many of us wasted precious moments watching CNN, watching the news, trying to check what, check what was going on? Meanwhile, there are things in our lives that we could improve that we are wasting energy and time on. So an addict has to learn how to surrender the outcome <clears throat> because it's when we try to control the outcome that we end up using drugs. And so I was able to practice rigorous authenticity because I became good at surrendering the outcome, focusing on only what I can control and letting go of everything that I can't. Like I managed a salesperson that would like only focus on their quota and the fact that the product sucked. Well, when I was selling, I focused only on making outbounds. Like that was the difference and that's what made me more successful. And so what happens when you practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome, you become really good at doing the third thing, which is uncomfortable work. And leaders are trained to do smart work and hard work, but uncomfortable work's emotional. Like smart work and hard work are physical and intellectual. Like how many of us have seen a leader, leader doing eight hours of hard work, avoiding 10 minutes of uncomfortable work? Saying the thing in the board meeting where they're scared, or saying that they don't know, like scared of holding someone accountable or something. And when you admit that you're a drug addict and you get a sponsor and you go to a 12 step meeting, you learn how to do some uncomfortable work and then performance managing someone, uh, performance managing someone doesn't feel as hard anymore. And so that's, that's the recipe. And, and, you know, I'm still active in my recovery, but what I learned was I was able to say no to the things that I wanted to say yes to more than the average leader. I was able to share my weaknesses, which allowed me to grow. And I was able to have more difficult conversations because I knew how to practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work. Thank you for that. Practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome, and do uncomfortable work. Um, so my wife and I went through full fertility stuff, and I sort of discovered going through that process that that people say trust the process, and people who say that, the process works for them. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I think... So when I tell people trust the process, I try to empathize with them and I try to do a couple things. Number one, I don't promise them that it will work. I promise them that in my experience, it worked. Number two, try to empathize with the fear that the person's going through because there's an outcome that they need to surrender. And so what I love about um, leadership, the style of leadership that I learned in a 12-step program a sponsor is not like a mentor, a coach, a manager, or a CEO. All they are is a person that's like you that has gone through something similar to you and they're willing to share their experience using a proven system to navigate that problem. And so when I, when I you know, had to do that job interview and go into this job interview at a, at a CD store where I had to own the fact that the reason my work history was shoddy was because I was an addict and it was the one job interview that I had and I wouldn't get a job if I didn't pass it, I was able to call my sponsor and he was able to share an experience where he'd practiced rigorous authenticity, where he'd surrendered the outcome and he'd done uncomfortable work and it didn't go perfectly. It wasn't like the movies, but he said, if you commit to this process, you'll be more successful in life than if you worry about whether you get this job. If you commit to this process first, you'll be able to stay clean, but then you'll be able to thrive. And, and, and so I think when you think about someone going through something like what you went through or when someone's going through grief or going through a divorce or going through anything, 
I think the first thing is, is that don't sell them pros like prosperity hope and, and it's always, it's going to work perfectly. Empathize with where they are. And then instead of telling them how to feel, tell them how you felt instead of telling mm. them what to do, tell them what you did. And I think that's, to me, that's the key is, is being able to share your experience instead of trying to tell someone what to do. And that's why we say in our program, um, great leaders don't lead others. They lead themselves. Nice. I think that that's awesome. So as, as you look at your life today, are, how, how do you look at your, your, your addiction? Are you grateful for it? Is that a stupid thing to ask? <laughs> you know, I was hired to do a speaking engagement for a nonprofit that helps addicts. And I was so surprised when they called me and they said, um, we have a problem. And I said, what? Because I was like, that was the keynote opening up this conference. And they said, the founders of our nonprofit want you to change the title of your keynote. And I said, why? They said, well, it says great leaders live like drug addicts. And we think drug addict is a derogatory term. So we want to take that out. Could you make it people in recovery? Hmm. I was, and I was like, no, <laughs> I'm a drug addict. And they're like, well, it's got a real negative connotation. I was like, I understand that, but it means the world to me. You see, I will be a drug addict until the day I die. But every day I get to choose whether I'm in recovery or active addiction and when I wake up in the morning, and so this is still true today, when I wake up in the morning and I do my prayers and I do my gratitude list, I thank God for my addiction before I ever start talking to him about my recovery. It is the best thing about me because it gave me an excuse that most people don't have to prioritize practicing rigorous authenticity, surrendering the outcome and doing uncomfortable work. As a result, I'm able to self-manage my energy my growth, my time, my connection with others in a way that most people can't because I walk around with a loaded gun pointed at my head that says, if I don't practice these principles, I'll die. The average leader in a corporate career doesn't have that kind of threat. It's like, eh, I'd like to be authentic, but I also want this promotion. I didn't have that. Like, I'm going to freaking die, dude. And then the second thing is, is that because the disease of addiction is such a, a global, I mean, you want to talk about pandemics, such a global thing. There are millions of people that are meeting on a, on a regular basis practicing these principles. And so I got to go to the equivalent of an academy for a crappy cup of coffee in an hour of my time a couple times a week. I got to go to an academy and mastering these principles. And that's what allowed me to scale without a college degree at a Fortune 50 company. That's what allowed me to navigate a divorce. That's what helped me write my book. I had to tear down my book. I almost published a book that was inauthentic and I realized I wasn't being true to myself and I'd use my three principles and I had to start the book writing process again. I continuously have to use these things, but if I didn't have that gun pointed at my head, if I didn't have the disease of addiction, and then if I didn't have the training ground of other people, I wouldn't have the motivation and I wouldn't have the opportunity to master these principles. And these principles have given me a life that I never could have dreamed back before even addiction became a part of my life. And so like they are the best thing about me and you can't take the best thing about me in recovery away from the addiction itself. The addiction is the reason that they're there. And so that's why I'm grateful for it. Yeah, I pre appreciate that. For, for people that you're talking to that, that, that don't have, that, that aren't an addict, recovering addict, how, how do you coach them to get themselves in that, on that death ground? Yeah. So in, in my book, the, the first chapter is I'm Mike and I'm an addict. And then the next chapter is you're blank and you're a mask addict. Hmm. And what I basically outline is that you can access these principles once you recognize that you are addicted to something too, because I don't know a leader 
that doesn't say no, doesn't say yes to things that they wish they could say no to. But I haven't said yes to a drug in over 6,000 days, hmm. right? I don't know a leader that isn't scared to share their weaknesses. But as a drug addict, I share my biggest one up front all the time. I don't know a leader that isn't avoiding difficult conversations. By me being a drug addict and talking about it, I have a difficult conversation all the time. So what I would say is, if what I'm describing, if the way of life that I'm describing is one that you are interested in, I wrote a book that essentially takes the recovery from addiction process and translates it for everybody else in the environment in which they experience the most pain around wearing a quote unquote mask. And that is in the professional world. In building my company, I taught all my employees how to use these principles and we beat companies that were 10 times our size. Like we were more successful, but we had a better time doing it, which is the more important thing. And if you can accept that you are potentially a mask addict, if you're addicted to saying yes, you're addicted to hiding your weakness, you're addicted to avoiding difficult conversations, you manage the perception of what people think of you when you're in the party, when you're online or whatever, then you know what, if you can identify with that as addiction, because again, definition of addiction, doing the same thing over and over again, despite negative consequences, people waste on average 500 hours a year just saying yes to things they should say no to. Mm if you can identify as an addict, you can access a system and a process known as recovery and you can get the benefit that I got too. The problem is, is that it doesn't feel as fatal to you. Like you don't have a judge locking you up for saying yes to meetings that you should say no to. <laughs> like that's just not your risk. So one of the things we do, we have this thing called a mask rehab and we help people see all of the hidden costs, all the time they're wasting, all the stress they're creating, all the hurt they're creating for the people they love, the money that they're wasting, how their teams are suboptimized. We do a really good job of helping people understand the cost because they think, oh, I'm just saying yes when I should say no. Well, and it's like, well, you know what? I was like that. I was, I was, I was getting high and getting drunk. I'm like, well, I'm just a drug addict. Oh, well I went to rehab and they helped me understand the cost. And so we're trying to do the same because we think this is like, we think this is the addiction that's actually more prevalent than all the other addictions combined. That's like slowly killing people not fastly killing people. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Michael, the people are ready for your difference-making tip, even though you've already given us a bunch of them. What do you have for them? So surrendering the outcome whenever I do my process is by, by far the hardest thing for people to do. Um, they understand it conceptually, but doing it's a whole other thing. Um, and so this is a really simple exercise that we put people through that it's going to sound so simple, but it works so well. Think of whatever it is that you're scared of in your professional life or even personal life where you're saying yes when you could say no or hiding weakness or avoiding difficult conversation. And then picture your nightmare outcome. What is the thing you're scared of? And then on a piece of paper, because that's what's stopping you from surrendering. So on a piece of paper, write can't control in the up left, upper left and write can't control in the upper right in a line down the middle. And when you think about that night, nightmare scenario, Think about the aspects of it that you can't control and write two to three specific things that you can't control about that situation. So when I went into that job interview and I'd tell people I was an addict, I couldn't control that I needed a job, couldn't control that I was an addict, and I couldn't control what the manager would do about it. I identified three specific things that I couldn't control in that situation. Then identify two to three things that you can control. So. I could control whether I told him. I could control how I told him. I could control when in the interview I told him. I could control whether I asked for help on how to tell him, right? There were things I could control. 
And then when you're done with that list, go through each can't control and look at it for a second and hit an, and write an X over it. And then look at each can control and circle each one. In engaging your physical body, so don't do this mentally, do it on a piece of paper. You guys remember that, right? What a piece of paper was. And use a piece of paper because what you're doing is you're actually engaging your full body and mind in the act of letting go of the outcome you're scared of. And by the time you're done circling the can controls, your uncomfortable work becomes super clear and you can reallocate your energy on that. People in our program do this all the time and no matter how many times they do it, it still works. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on, come on. What an awesome exercise. I just wrote all that down and I'm absolutely going to do that when, uh, as soon as we're done, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage and where can they get a copy of great leaders live like drug addicts? Yeah. So there, there's two options. So first of all, uh, my family gave me a jacked up last name. It's hyphenated. It's Brody hyphen weight. First 25 years of my life that sucked, but now I'm the only Brody weight on Google. So SEO is great. So you just t- put Michael Brody hyphen weight and it'll take you to my website, michaelbrodyweight.com. And you can learn more about me, learn about our, pro- our mastery program, see other people that are living it, all that kind of stuff. If you do not want to have to learn or say, or type Michael Brody weight, <laughs> And you just want to like check out the book. There's an audio book and, and, a, and a Kindle version, all that kind of stuff. Just go to greatleaderbook.com and you'll see my TED Talk and you can check out my book and you'll get a 30-minute free audio book intro if you give us your email address. Um, and, then the, and then you can check out the book and see a little bit more about how I'm an addict, how you're an addict, and how that gives you a competitive advantage. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Michael your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Type into your favorite search engine, Michael Brody Weight. It's Michael, B-R-O-D-Y-W-A-I-T-E. Just go to michaelbrodyweight.com. You can also go to Great Leader Book or Leader's Book. Great Leader Book. Greatleaderbook.com. And uh, take advantage of all the uh, all the programs that Michael has going on. Check out his his TEDx talk. Um, get engaged. Thanks again, Michael. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.